You see the title of this study, Consider Jesus, the Many Facets of Christ. This is part three, part three. So we've been working through it now for some weeks. And the point of this study is for us to think deeply about the person and the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus is like a diamond. If you hold up a, a diamond, a diamond has different facets. And if you turn it around and look at it from different angles, you see different parts of the same diamond. And you see how beautiful and multifaceted it is. And Jesus is, is multifaceted. Uh, and there's so much that we can learn about Jesus uh, from his word. And we want to consider the many facets of Christ. Now, just very quickly, we've talked about this every night. Why do we need to consistently consider Jesus? Why do we need to think about Jesus, study the person of Jesus, you know, look at his many different facets? Why is that important? Well, if you look there in your notes, so we can marvel at him, Hebrews 3.1, so we can be transformed into his image, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and so we can learn from his example, Hebrews 12.1-3. As we consider Christ, think about Christ, study the person and work of Christ, then we will begin to marvel and adore him in a greater way. We'll be changed to be more like Jesus, and we can follow in his footsteps and live the kind of life that Jesus lived. So those are some reasons we need to consistently Consider Jesus. And I've given you there kind of the outline of the study. Part one, we talked about Jesus being the lion and the lamb. How many were here as we talked about Jesus being the lion and the lamb? Raise your hand. Okay. Then we talked about Jesus being God and man. How many were here to talk about Jesus being God and man? Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about Jesus being gentle and severe. Gentle and severe. You say, I never heard those phrases applied to Christ. Well, we're going to have a great time studying the, 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 the gentleness and the severity of Christ tonight, and learn a lot about that. Then we're going to talk about Jesus being a proclaimer and a mentor. Jesus preached to masses. He preached to to multitudes, but he really invested most of his time and energy in a small group of men. And through that group of men, the world has been changed with the gospel. We're going to talk about Jesus being powerful and yet dependent. Uh, He's God, and he has all power, and yet he emptied himself, it says in Philippians 2. He laid down the rights and prerogatives of deity and lived most of his his time on this earth uh, as uh, a human dependent upon the power of the Spirit. And we'll talk a lot about that, what that means for you and for me. There are a lot of implications to that, but uh, it's interesting to study. And then we'll talk about Jesus being joyful and sorrowful. Uh, Jesus is is, is joyful. Uh, we see that through the gospel, but also there's a, there's a sorrow, a weight uh, that he carried, and we'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about Jesus being dead and raised. And I may even add something else in there before we get done. But that's our outline for now. So, let's talk about Jesus being gentle and severe. Gentle and severe. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I've watched a lot of different Jesus movies. I mean, have you seen a lot of different Jesus movies? I mean, there's a lot of them out there. And I, I've watched most of the main ones through the years. And and it's just it seems like the guy that the actor that's playing Jesus never just gets it quite right, right? You know, he's either you know kind of you know happy go lucky, you know, kind of silly Jesus, or he's this kind of you know kind of morbid, you know, kind of gazing off in the distance, kind of you know uh, 
um, distant Jesus would be a different way to say it. And, and it's just hard for a, for a human actor to strike the balance of who Jesus was because he has so many different facets, right? And so when you have a human actor, it's going to be hard for them to try to portray Jesus as the Bible presents him. And this is true when it comes to Jesus being gentle and severe. We're going to see some aspects of Jesus' character where he is, he is kind and gentle and patient. We're going to see sometimes when Jesus just flat told it like it was and, uh, and, was, and was severe with some folks. We're going to talk about why there were differences and who he talked to in these different ways. And so let's talk about the, the gentleness and severity of Jesus. Number one, the gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus. Who was Jesus gentle with well, first of all, Jesus was gentle with the suffering. Look in Matthew chapter nine with me. By the way, we're going to turn a lot tonight, but we're going to be in the Gospels for the most part. So just follow along with me. Matthew chapter nine, verse eighteen. The Bible says, while he was Saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. The girl arose. The report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. I love this passage because we see Jesus encountering so many different things. We see him encountering someone that had lost a loved one. We see him encountering a woman who had been sick for over a decade. We see him encountering two blind men, a man who was demon-possessed. And in all of these different situations, Jesus touches these lives with healing power. And he's so patient, he's so gentle with all of these different things. Now, it's interesting to note this story where uh, the woman touched him of his garment. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus, after his hymn uh, was touched, said, who touched me? Because he, he, the Bible says he knew power went out from him. The other Gospels say this. And at that moment, that woman is worried, right? That Jesus is going to be severe with her, that he's going to be angry at her, that she touched the hem of his garment without permission. But Jesus is not angry, he's gentle with her. He, he wants her to be healed. Her, she, had, she had faith in him, and so she is healed from her sickness. And so we see here, Jesus is very gentle 
with suffering people. We see that not just in this section, but all throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus steps into the lives of suffering lepers, folks that are suffering, he steps into their lives, and he touches them and makes their lives better and cares for them, and he cares for those that no one else is caring for. So Jesus was gentle with the suffering. Secondly, Jesus was gentle with the struggling. The struggling. Look over in Matthew 11 with me. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor of good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so, it's an interesting story. This is, this is John the Baptist that he's talking about here. John the Baptist was in prison, and John the Baptist is wavering in his faith. Now remember, John the Baptist was the one who was preaching boldly in uh, Judea, in the wilderness, and when Jesus came up, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus, and that was an interesting... By the way, I'll tell you a quick Israel story. I'm going to try not to do this too often, but... but uh, uh, at the Jordan River in Israel this past week, I, I got to baptize some folks. I wanted to be baptized in the Jordan River. And I was the pastors. They asked me to, to do that. And, and I knew that that might be the case. So I took the only bathing suit I have. You know, I'm a Floridian. And my bathing suit is this blue with tropical flowers on it and stuff. And, and, and I took it out when I was packing. I said, Claire, nothing says John the Baptist like these swim shorts, does it? Really? But anyway, uh, I had a gown. I had, they put a, it gave us a gown to put over it. So uh, anyway, but John the Baptist, he was baptizing, uh, preaching about Jesus, pointing people to the Messiah, and, and was a bold witness for Christ. But yet here, he's in prison because uh, he had said some, he had called power to account uh, Herod and, and told him he was being immoral. So he's in prison and he's thinking, you know, I've tried to represent God and do the right thing. And I just need to know, I'm in prison. Is Jesus really the Messiah? I mean, I've laid my life on the line because I've pointed people to him. Is Jesus really the Messiah? We see here, John the Baptist just wavering. He's struggling with his faith a little bit. How many of you ever, ever in here have struggled with your faith a little bit? Right? Maybe a circumstance, maybe you're going through something difficult, or you heard something that kind of shook you. I don't know what the case is, but, but there are times when we waver, when we struggle. And John the Baptist was human. He was a great preacher, a great man of God, but he struggled. And I love how Jesus responds. There, in, in verse 4, Jesus doesn't say, John... What's your problem? Of course I'm the Messiah. I mean, you should know this. You're the forerunner, right? He doesn't do that, though, does he? Look what he says. Just, just go and tell John what you hear and see. Tell him the testimony of how people are being healed, the, the blind are getting sight, lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised, poor of goodness preached to them, blessed is one who is not offended by me. So in a very gentle way saying, John, I'm the Messiah, and just hold strong. Don't be offended by me. Don't just, just hold fast to me. And you will be blessed. So he's very gentle with John the Baptist. I, I love that. Look what it says over in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. We see a quote from Isaiah here. It says, Jesus, aware of this, and he's aware of the Pharisees trying to kill him. 
withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. I love that. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And it is named the Gentiles will hope. He's quoting Isaiah here, and Isaiah says the Messiah is going to be gentle. If he finds someone that is bruised, he's not going to break them. He's going to try to restore them and point them to truth. If he finds a, a smoldering wick, a, someone's fire, spiritual fire that's about to go out, he's not going to snuff it out. He's going to try to, 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 to fan those flames, uh, those embers back into flames. And so what the Bible is saying here is that the Messiah is gentle. He's not here to, to, to break us. He's here to restore us and to make us whole. He will not break a bruised reed. And that's good news because there's been times in my, in my life, my Christian life, where I've been bruised. And I needed the gentleness of Christ, right? I needed Jesus to come alongside me and restore me and help me and make me whole. By the way, if you like some old authors, uh, there's a Puritan author named Richard Sibbs. And he wrote this wonderful little book called um, the bruised reed. And he, he, he spends an entire book writing about this passage in Isaiah, how Jesus is so gentle with us. And so uh, Jesus was gentle with the struggling. He didn't, he didn't hammer folks you know, that were struggling. He tried to restore them and help them and give them hope and, and get them back in the game. So Jesus was gentle with the suffering. He was gentle with the struggling. But third, Jesus was gentle with the sinners and the outcasts of society. Jesus was gentle with the sinners and the outcasts of society. Why? Number one, because they were far away from God and knew it. Jesus, listen to what I'm about to say. This is so important. Jesus was drawn to people that knew they were needy. And he was, we'll get to severity in a moment, he was repulsed by people that that thought they didn't need him. Now look with me over in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. There's a lot of examples of Jesus' gentleness with sinners. Now, when Jesus, verse 1, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that verse there shows you that something something extraordinary is happening in this passage because the Jews of the day would not uh, go directly to Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and to get from from Galilee to Judea or Judea to Galilee, they would go the long way around so they would not go through that, that land and rub shoulders with Samaritans whom they hated so much. It was really ethnic prejudice here. But Jesus decides to go right through the middle of Samaria. So wait, why, why did he go through Samaria? Because he had a divine appointment. He had someone he wanted to meet with. And look what it says in verse 4. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field 
that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It means it was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, there's a lot of things happening here. First of all, you have a Jew talking to a Samaritan. So Jesus here is crossing uh, racial boundaries. And you have Jesus, a man, talking to this woman. And he's crossing gender boundaries. In, in this day and time, uh, men would not, would not talk to women out in public the way Jesus was talking to this woman. You also have some, some boundaries being crossed where, um, where someone respectable is talking to someone who is seen as an outcast. This woman comes out to the well at noon because it's probably no one else was around. It's a hot part of the day. And so she wanted to come to the well when no one else was around. She was embarrassed to be around other people. She was seen as outcast. And yet Jesus speaks to this woman. And it says, he said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Notice she understands all these boundaries are being crossed. She knows that, that this is not usual, what's happening. It says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's not getting the metaphor, is she? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, now we're going to get to why she was seen as an outcast, Go call your husband. And come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. You, for you have had five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So this woman was, was an immoral woman, and everybody knew it. And because she was immoral, she would not come out to the well except at noon when no one else was around. And they begin, continue to have this conversation about Jewish worship, Samaritan worship, but basically Jesus says to her, Finally, I'm the Messiah, and she runs into town to tell everyone she has found the Messiah. Her life has changed. Her testimony is used to point others to Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that this woman who no one else wanted to be around, Jesus had had a divine appointment with her. He made sure he was in Samaria at noon at the well so he could minister to this woman who was an outcast. Jesus was gentle with this woman who no one else had any use for. No one else thought, uh, everyone else thought there was no hope for her. She's too immoral to really amount to anything. And yet Jesus changed his travel plans to make sure he could meet her and point her to living water. Isn't that awesome? And then turn over to Luke, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho. And I promise I'm not going to do this all the time, but I've been there. It was awesome. Jericho is an awesome city. And, they, and the reason I'm telling you that is because they had a, uh, a sycamore tree that, you know, could have been the tree that, that Zacchaeus was in. But anyway, 
Uh, it says, He entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a what? Sinner. Now, tax collectors were hated because uh, most of them were dishonest. They would charge the tax the Romans told them to charge, and they would charge them extra and kind of skim off the top. And because of their work for the Roman Empire, tax gatherers were seen as traitors to the Jewish people, the fierce Jewish nationalists. And so they were seen as traitors. They were seen as thieves. They were hated. And yet Jesus encounters Zacchaeus and says, Hey, I want to go to your house. I want to spend some time with you. And those watching were shocked by this. You want to go to his house? All the folks here in Jericho, you want to go to the tax gatherer's house? And yet Jesus here has time to minister to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is saved. Jesus was gentle with sinners. He was gentle with the outcasts of society because they were far away from God and they knew it. And Jesus was drawn to their their sense of need and spoke into their need and pointed them to to himself. And so Jesus was gentle with sinners. Be careful, by the way, who you write off. We rub shoulders with immoral people all the time, don't we? And, And people that we think there's no hope for them. But listen to me, God loves them, right? God loves them. And God will change their life if they'll embrace Him as Lord and Savior, embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. And so they were far away from God, and and they knew it. And Jesus was gentle with these folks. Also, Jesus was gentle with the sinners because they understood their need and responded to mercy and grace. Turn to Matthew 9 with me. Matthew 9. No, turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. Matthew 9 is when Jesus calls another tax collector, Levi, to be one of his disciples. And he goes and eats with him and some of his friends. And the religious leaders see this and say, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And they mean it as a pejorative. They mean it as an insult. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I want to say, I want to go on record tonight as saying, I'm glad Jesus is a friend of sinners. Because you know what you're looking at right now? You're looking at a sinner. A sinner who is in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus is my only hope. How about you? So I'm glad that he, he's gentle with sinners. And, and when we see our need for him and embrace him, he comes to us with his salvation and his love. And so we see these, these, these sinners, these outcasts, respond to him. And they, they know they need him and they respond to his mercy and grace. And here's the classic passage, Luke 18, verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. He told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So people who thought they didn't need Jesus. And they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now again, Pharisees, the religious leaders, and you know, these were the folks that were respected, the, you know, the, the folks that would make great church members. Right? I mean, Pharisees would make great church members. They, they tithed, they fasted, they, most of them had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, memorized. They were 
uh, active in uh, you know, attendance and worship. I mean, they make great church members, right? They're the religious elite. And so you have a Pharisee going up to the temple, and you have a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, watch this, standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus here says, listen, I'm drawn to the sinner because he knows he's a sinner. He knows he has need, and he wants my mercy. He wants my grace. He doesn't, he doesn't relate to me based upon his external righteousness. He has none. He says, God, my only hope is mercy. And God gives him that saving mercy. And so Jesus was gentle with sinners and the outcasts of society because they understood their need and responded to mercy and grace. So how do we respond to people that are far from God? Or how should we respond to people that are far from God? I believe we should respond like Jesus did. Show them compassion. Hold out hope for them. Point them to the gospel. Point them to Jesus Christ. Because you know that if anyone anywhere, regardless of their background, regardless of their lifestyle, if anyone anywhere places their faith in Christ, they will be saved, right? and forgiven and brought into a relationship with God. We've got to be very careful about identifying certain segments of society as beyond hope. Or maybe family members as beyond hope. Listen to me. Jesus loves sinners and will save anybody that sees their need for him and comes to him on the basis of mercy and grace. And so Jesus was very gentle with suffering, the suffering, the struggling, and with the sinners. I'm grateful for the gentleness of Jesus. How about you? But we see a different facet of the character of Jesus throughout the Gospels when we see him being very severe with some folks. Not gentle, but severe. Now, who are these folks that Jesus is severe with, and why is he severe with them? Why is he harsh with them? Well, let me give you some, some groups that Jesus was severe with. Number one, Jesus was severe with self-righteous religious people. Self-righteous religious people. Look over in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Here in this chapter, Jesus is talking directly to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, again, were religious leaders in, 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 in Israel. And they were, and I will talk some more about this in a moment, but they were depending upon their external righteousness. They thought because they fasted and gave alms and prayed and went to temple and memorized scripture, that because they did all these things, that their righteousness would earn them a right standing with God. They were trying to work their way to God. They didn't see their sin and their great need for a Savior, which, by the way, kind of reminds me of the Bible Belt. In the Bible Belt, 
No one needs, no one, no one, everybody's good. No one needs, a, everybody's a good old guy, good old gal. No one needs a, a savior, right? And so here in this text, we see that Jesus is being very severe with self-righteous religious people. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes. Oh, verse 33, 23, verse 33. He says to them, you, what? Serpents, that's severe, isn't it? You brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? That's the same Jesus that was dealing tenderly with Zacchaeus and the woman at the well. And now, when he deals with self-righteous religious people, you know what he's doing? He's calling them snakes. See the difference there? Totally different. Dealing with them in a totally different different way. Now, why was Jesus severe with self-righteous religious people? People that thought their performance earned them a right standing with God, and because they were so focused on performance, they looked down on others who weren't performing like they were. Why was he so severe with them? Well, number one, because their hypocrisy needed to be challenged. Back up to the beginning of this chapter, uh, Matthew 23, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. So the Pharisees were about, hey, do what I say, not necessarily what I do. You know, we can be be guilty of that same thing, can't we? We can tell everybody else what they need to be doing when we're not doing what we need to be doing, right? Didn't Jesus address that? In the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye, deal with the telephone pole in your eye. That what he said? Now, he wasn't saying there you never deal with someone's speck. There was a time when you come to your brother and sister because you love them and say, hey, you got a speck in your eye. But you need to make sure that you dealt with your own specks and your own telephone poles, right? You need to make sure. And he's saying here, the, 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 the Pharisees are preaching, but they're not practicing what they preach. You know, this can, uh, this can be true of parents, right? Say to our kids, hey, do as I say, not as I do. That's dangerous. You're sending mixed signals to your kids when you preach one thing, but practice another way. So he says, verse 4, they type heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger They do all their deeds, watch this, to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. But you are not called to be rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant." Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So he's saying here, the Pharisees were all about external actions and they wanted everybody to see all of their external actions. So everyone knew how good they were. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. And Jesus was severe with them because their hypocrisy needed to be challenged. Listen to me. Hypocrisy is offensive to God. We said again, 
hypocrisy is offensive to God. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves living a sham of a life where we are just living as hypocrites, acting one way around one group of people, but totally different around another group of people. And, and we have basically two lives, our religious life and our non-religious life, and we're living a sham. We're living as hypocrites. We're just playing a part, and, and, and our Lord is offended by hypocrisy. So Jesus was severe with them to challenge their hypocrisy to say, hey, you're, you're preaching, but you're not practicing what you preach. Here's another reason Jesus was severe with them. They thought their religious action, actions made them acceptable to God. Look what it says in Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for, watch this, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you will also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, yeah, you're doing all this outwardly religious stuff, but you haven't dealt with your heart. And all of your sin comes from your heart. If you speak sinful words, you know where those sinful words come from? Your sinful heart. If you do sinful things, you know where those sinful actions come from? Your sinful heart. If you think sinful thoughts, you know where they come from? Your sinful heart. So religion that is just merely external is not enough. You can do a bunch of religious things, but if you haven't addressed the heart, you're not making any headway. And Jesus is severe with him because they thought, if I just do the right religious stuff, if I go to church, if I memorize scripture, if I give alms, if I, if I pray, if I fast, if I do all these things, then, then surely God will accept me because I'm so much better than the sinner over there. But they weren't dealing with their Heart and listen to me. I want you to hear me carefully. Yes, we need to be fruit inspectors and, and help each other to grow in our faith and hold each other accountable. But listen to me. You need to recognize you've got issues. And if you listen to me, if you don't think you have issues, you have a major blind spot in your life. Listen, you've got issues. All of us do. We're, we're works in progress. Paul said, hey, I'm not arrived yet. I'm, I'm leaving behind what's behind, and I'm straining forward to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus, but I have not yet arrived. And until we get to heaven, we have not arrived. We've got some growing to do. Listen, you have issues. So quit trying to impress everybody with outward religious acts and walk with Jesus and let him deal with your stuff. Let him change your heart. Let him do a work in you because we all need him to work on our heart, right? God, listen, God is not impressed by our religious acts that are, that are, that are divorced from a heart that's in love with him. He's not impressed by that. As a matter of fact, when Isaiah said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If your heart is far from God, he's not impressed when you come in on Sunday and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. He's just not. He wants your heart, right? He wants to change you. 
And so Jesus was severe with the self-righteous religious because they thought their religious actions made them acceptable to God and they missed the heart, the heart of the matter, you might say. So Jesus was severe with them to get their attention. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're just, you're just covering the outside of a, dead, of, of, a, of a dead person, trying to make a dead person look better. And by the way, Christianity is not trying to make dead people look better. Christianity is dead people being brought to life. Amen? Religion tries to make dead people look better. All the different world religions out there, they're trying to make dead people look a little bit better for whatever their concept of God is. Christianity says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and Christ, and only Christ, makes us alive. Amen? So he was severe. Also, Jesus was severe with self-righteous religious people because they were leading people astray. Look what it says in Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. This isn't, some, this isn't vespers with Jesus, is it? He's telling it like it is. He says, you go across the sea to make proselytes to your your religion, your Phariseeism, and you're leading them farther away from truth, farther away from me. So he was harsh with them because they were leading people astray. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus was gentle with sinners who were being led astray, but he was harsh with the people leading them astray. You need to remember that balance. You need to remember that balance. We'll come across people that are far from God and maybe they've been under some bad teaching or bad influence or, or whatnot. We need to be gentle with them and, and teach them truth. Don't hammer them because they don't have, have it all figured out. We need to teach them the truth. But when we come across someone that is, is intentionally leading people astray, leading people away from God, then it's time to be severe. If you read the Bible, Jesus and, and the Lord, Paul, they are severe with false teachers. They don't play games with false teachers, all right? And Jesus here is, is severe with these religious leaders because they were leading people astray. Next, Jesus was severe with self-righteous religious people because they would not submit to the authority of God's word. Turn to Matthew 15 with me. Matthew 15. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his, fa- his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, Jesus here is dealing with a, 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 a tradition called Corbin. And, and the religious leaders came up with this idea called Corbin, where they would say, 
okay, you know what, I've got, this, I've got these resources, and you know, my parents are kind of needy. I could help them out, you know, maybe get them a new home or provide for some of their needs. But you know what, this money in my account is it's, it's, it's for the Lord. It's, it's God's money, so I'm not going to give it to my parents. They would hold on to their money under the guise of Corbin. It was all for God, right? And Jesus saying, hey, the Bible says love your mom and dad. Honor them. Take care of them. Forget your tradition of Corbin and take care of your parents, right? But he's saying your, your tradition carries with it more weight in your eyes than the word of God. That was their problem. Man-made tradition was more important than what God's word says. And Jesus was severe with them because Jesus desires that his word be the authority of our lives, the ultimate final authority of our lives. And anytime we we elevate tradition over the word of God, it dishonors the Lord. And so Jesus was severe because they would not submit to the authority of God's Word. I, I've told you the story before, but it really illustrates this so, so very well. So if you'll bear with me, and this is a funny story. I was a, uh, I was a youth minister at a church when I was in seminary, and we uh, went to uh, youth camp, and we came back, and we had what they called back then Youth Sunday. And the youth would come up on stage and lead in the songs, and, and a couple of the youth would come up and share their testimony. And I, I pre, as the youth minister, I would preach that Sunday. And so it was youth Sunday. It was a good time. So the kids are singing songs they learned at camp that week. And they're, you know, they're energetic songs, and they're clapping, and you know, they're having a big time. It was a neat service. It was really, really good, and I thought it was encouraging. I was encouraged by what the Lord was doing in these young people's lives. And after the service was over, I walked down the hallway, and this, this gentleman in our church, a respected gentleman in our church, came up to me, and he said, he said, I, I want to talk to you about clapping in church. And I was blindsided because it, the service was so good. It really was. I was really encouraged by it, you know. And, and, uh, and, it, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I don't, I don't think there should be clapping in church. And he had a verse. He had a verse. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. That's what he said. Now, and I said, well, I said, do you want to talk about this right now? Because we're in the hallway, people are walking around. He said, no, no, I just want to tell you that, that I don't think there should be clapping in church. Well, you know, I went to, to look at the, at the psalm, and first of all, Psalm 46.10 has nothing to do with, with clapping in church. It's about your world falling apart around you. And, 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 and when it feels like the... The, the mountain is being cast into the heart of a sea, and your world is being turned upside down. You need to be still and know that God's God. That's the, that's, the, that's the context. But here's what's interesting. If you go to the next psalm, Psalm 47, verse 20, you know what the Bible says? Clap your hands, all ye people. <laughs> so just keep reading, right? Just keep reading. But you know that is? That's elevating a, a tradition I grew up in a church, didn't clap. That was this man's tradition. We didn't clap in my church, and so we shouldn't clap in this church. His tradition was elevated above the authority of God's word. Listen to me. Under the authority, there's nothing wrong with clapping in church. There's not. There's just, it says clap your hands, all you people, as, a, as an expression of worship to God. There's nothing at, at all wrong with clapping. There's nothing wrong with not clapping either. You, you can worship God and not clap, and, and your worship be real and authentic, all right? But, but what was happening here is this, this tradition, the, the way this man was raised, was, was, higher, uh, was a higher priority, higher authority 
than the Word of God. We just be very careful that we don't elevate our, our traditions above God's commandments. That sound good? And I can give you a whole host of other things that are traditions um, that people say you should or should not do, um, and they hold it over God's Word as authoritative. Things like, um, you know, a young man came to me one time, and, and uh, he was, uh, his life was just broken. I mean, he was one of these outcasts that the Bible talks about, far from God, involved in drugs, and his life was falling apart. His, his family was falling apart. He was like 20 years old, and he just came off the street one day to talk to a pastor, and I'm talking to him, and he attends a church, and he said, he said uh, you know, he said, uh, I'm sorry I'm wearing jeans. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, my pastor told me last Sunday from the pulpit that, that, that we shouldn't wear jeans. And he said, I was the only one with jeans in the, in the worship service. I was kind of embarrassed by that. And, and I said, the Bible has nothing to say about whether or not you wear jeans. <laughs> That's the kind of craziness out there where we elevate these, these man-made traditions and make them the authority instead of what God's Word says. Nothing wrong with wearing jeans to church. And if someone tells you that there is, they need to go back and read their Bible. There's nothing we, we get so caught up in stuff that just doesn't matter. People are, people are dying and going to hell. There are two billion people in our world that have never even heard the name of Jesus, and we're talking about genes? Are you kidding me? But that's the kind of silliness that happens when man-made tradition is placed above the authority of God's Word. Now, if it's in the Bible, hey, we're, we're going to go to the mat on that. Amen? We, I mean, we're, we, there's, the, the Bible, it's not, if it's in the Bible, it's non-negotiable. Because in the Bible, we're going to stand on it and, and, and believe it and, and stand firm. But we've got to be careful about these things that are elevated above God's Word. And Jesus said, listen, you are elevating your tradition above the Word of God. So he was severe with them. He had no, he had no patience for those that did not submit to the authority of God's Word. And I can give you a whole other list of other things. But let's just go to the next one. Jesus was severe with self-righteous religious people because they were far away from God and didn't know it. I believe that Jesus talked to these religious leaders harshly sometimes to wake them up. Look what he says over in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Longer passage talking to... um, the Jews, and it says there in verse 44, you, this is Jesus talking to the crowd, you are of your father the devil. Now, hey, let's do a little poll. How many of you would say that's gentle talk? That's gentle, Jesus being gentle. Raise your hand, anybody out there for gentle? How many would say that's Jesus being severe? He tells them their father is the devil. It's pretty severe, right? And I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to wake them from their lethargy. They thought they were right with God, but he's saying, you're not. God is not your father because you don't believe the one that he sent. You are of your father, the devil. And he was severe with them to get their attention. I believe that people who are far from God and don't realize it, again, there's a lot of this in the Bible Belt, sometimes you've got to speak to them directly and help them to understand that they are far from God. And so, Jesus was severe with self-righteous religious people. Secondly, Jesus was severe with his disciples. I'm going to go real fast here. 
We're going to finish up in a minute, let you ask questions. Jesus was severe with his disciples. He was severe with them when they were missing the point. Look over in Matthew 20. We'll look at a classic passage in missing the point. Matthew 20, verse 17. What makes this passage so powerful is the contrast. Look in verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He will be raised on the third day. So Jesus is saying, hey, we're headed to Jerusalem. We get there. I'm laying down my life. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And I know it's coming, but I'm going to Jerusalem anyway because I love people and I'm dying for the sins of the world. So you have that sacrifice of Jesus in that passage. Look at the next verse. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? They said to him, we are able. Talking to the, the boys now, James and John. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. It is not for those for whom it is, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ter- ten heard it, they were indignant at the two, bro- ten, uh, two brothers. So here's the deal. Jesus, I'm going to lay down my life. And the disciples are bickering about who gets the, the right hand and left hand seat at the throne of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm laying down my life. And they're saying, hey, we want to be great. Look what Jesus says, verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He's severe with his disciples because they, they're missing the point. He says, it's not about trying to climb the ladder of greatness. It's about laying down your life. That's the, that's the pathway to greatness. Giving your life away to be a servant to many as you follow my example. And so Jesus was severe with his disciples when they were missing the point. Jesus was severe with his disciples when they were hindering his mission. Look over in Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Look what it says in verse 21. From that time, this is Caesarea Philippi, after Peter declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to, up to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, what? Satan. Saying, Peter, by you trying to to keep me away from the cross, you are actually in league with Satan. I came to die. You're missing the point. They were, Peter was hindering his mission, so he talked to him very directly. He said, you are in league with Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That's tough talk, right? That's severe talk. But Peter needed to understand the mission of Christ. And there's one other thing here about severity. Jesus was severe with the crowds. 
There are a couple times when Jesus is very severe with the multitudes. First of all, he was severe with the crowds when they needed to be warned of eternal punishment. Look over in, look in Matthew 11. You can look up Luke 13 on your own time. Matthew 11, very quickly. The context here is Matthew 11. He's teaching and preaching in the cities. It says he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have... It would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus is talking with severity to the cities. He's saying, you've seen the miracles of God in your midst and you've rejected me. Woe to you. They needed to be warned of eternal punishment. And also Jesus was severe with the crowds when they wanted what he could give more than they wanted him. Look over in John 6 and we'll close with this. John chapter 6. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, What must we do to, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, Jesus is saying, Believe in me. Now here's what's happening here. The crowds were following Jesus because they had seen him feed 5,000 plus folks with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're following around and say, Hey, give us more bread. Do that again. Wow us again. Give us more stuff. In other words, they were following Jesus for what he could give rather than following him for who he is. And Jesus talks to them severely here. As a matter of fact, as you read through chapter 6, he talks to them so severely that, that the multitudes walk away and only his disciples remain. And he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? You see, Jesus talked to them severely because they were missing the point. Instead of embracing him as the Lord and Savior and the Messiah and believing in him, they just wanted more miracles. They wanted more bread. They wanted more stuff. They wanted more blessing. And a lot of people treat God that way, don't they? They don't come to God because of his salvation, because of the relationship available with him. They come to God wanting stuff. God, give me more stuff. Make my life better. Give me that promotion. Give me that new car. Give me that bigger house. Give me more stuff. And God, if you give me more stuff, then I'll, be, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll be faithful to you. But, but God, I want more stuff. And, and, and many people are coming to God wanting stuff and not wanting him. Not wanting to follow him through Christ and walking and talking with him. And Jesus talked severely with the crowds when they had that type of 
of attitude. So Jesus was severe. There were times when he was severe with the crowds. So we've talked about the gentleness of Jesus and we talked about the severity of Jesus, two facets of who he is and what he is like. It's interesting to think about who he was gentle with, who he was severe with, in what context he was gentle, in what context he was severe.